All right, we are live. Uh, thank you everyone for joining. Uh, joined again with uh, Justin Connors from 8 Prime Esports. I'm John Laster with Laster Law, and we have Yenzer from Yenzer Consulting Services. Uh, runs a fractionalized HR company where he kind of works with different company leaders, uh, C-levels and other executives who need help when it comes to HR services. Uh, Jeff also has a lot of experience in the video game industry. Uh, he's been in the Xbox MVP program with me for probably seven years, I think, for you, right? I think this is six. I think it's okay, seven six. for you and six for me. No, I'm, I am I think I'm at nine. Oh. <laughs> so that's what oh. I'm saying. I think you're at seven. Yeah, I might be. Because <laughs> I know I nominated you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Jeff, would you like to tell people a little bit about what you do? Okay. Well, as you uh, kind of mentioned, fractionalized HR and personal operation services. Uh, first off, I do have a first name. The first name is Jeff. <laughs> Although everyone knows about like 80 Jeffs and probably three of them are good people. So uh, I just like to be Yenzer because hopefully you only know one Yenzer. So that out of the way, what I do is really so much more than just human resources. Uh, I found very early in my career, which has now spanned, God, almost 20 years, uh, that HR is never really a strategic partnership within a company. Uh, usually it is an employee. And just like all of the other employees, they are beholden to the C-suite or whomever they happen to report to. So that whole adage about how HR just really is working for the company, it's sadly true as much as they don't want it to be. You might have a phenomenal HR person that is ethical and really wants to go to bat for you. I tried to be that person when I was traditionally employed, but at the end of the day, they write your paycheck. So do you want to get fired for somebody else or are they getting fired or how's that really going to interact? So about 15 years into my, um, career, I just kind of had a revelation that I would rather be a actual strategic partner with uh, multiple companies rather than just one. And branched out, started really uh, a consulting business that exists so that I can be that voice of reason and the objective person in the room that comes in and pokes holes and tells the baby that it's ugly. Uh, when you have a bad idea, I can tell the CEO, hey, that's a bad idea because I am a fractionalized 1099 consultant who has signed a contract with said CEO or uh, the leader of that org that states our relationship, which is one in which I am an advisor. I am not beholden to that person. So, so much of what I do is more the personnel operations. So taking out benefits and payroll and all that other stuff that you can literally automate and still be able to interact with the people. So uh, I, I long ago coined like the putting the person back in personnel and the human back in human resources, because as we automate everything, which there are so many things we can, it really comes down to needing to get that person to person interaction. I think during COVID that matters more than ever, right? hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, and for people who don't really have any experience with HR and the only image they have of that is maybe Toby from the office. Can you explain a little bit better what that even entails? Because no, I know you said like strategic partner, but like on yeah. what level? Yeah, no, I get it because I, I got to watch the office and I was maybe the only person that hurt for Toby because I knew what that was like. Um, HR, the way that it should be, they should be able to be an advocate for the company as well as the employee. So the person that really meets in the middle, mediates conflicts, makes sure that the managers are managing their people correctly as much as 
the people and the employees are ready to be managed. So really being that driving force behind checking and balancing to say that person is ready for a promotion or maybe that person does need additional coaching. HR should function in this role that is there for every single human in that organization, top to bottom. And honestly, if you were to look at an org chart and if it were to be busted out, in an ideal world, HR would, if they were an employee, sit over in the side, like CEO, C-suite, and then over in the side laterally with the CEO would sit HR because that HR professional is beholden much like a law professional to the letter of the law, rule, Mm -hmm. regulations of state, local, and federal governments. That is going to be what will blacklist that professional, not some CEO that just wants to do it their way. Yeah. No, I mean, I I can definitely say from experience, a lot of the org charts I see have the lawyers drafted off to the side like that, because it's kind of an established thing of, you know, like even if you do have in-house counsel, they're normally kind of more of a generalist who kind of can just do a little bit of everything. And then you kind of outsource specific needs, whether it's maybe more IP focused or in the context of, let's just say, Apple and Fortnite, they're obviously working with antitrust firms, you know, and that's kind of one of the big examples right now. Um, So that's definitely super interesting for me because that kind of dovetails into my own experience. Um, But I would definitely say what ties this back to a little bit of kind of video game companies. And what I'd want to know there is a lot of these companies are smaller. They're just kind of starting off. Maybe it's a couple people. When do they need you? When do they need? Okay. So I'm going to break your question into two. Please do. It was a long one. When do they need me? And when do they need an HR person? Mm -hmm. Like a dedicated HR employee. So they need me when they're going to hire their first employee or when they're going to transition their 1099 contractor over to an employee. So when they're going to be legitimate, actually have employees and stop most times treating their contractors like employees because Mm -hmm. there's a nice little IRS checklist that you have to maintain uh, to make sure that you are not treating your contractors too much like employees. So when you're ready to bridge that gap and actually hire employees, that is when you should be talking to either myself or because I'm only one person and this company will only ever be one person talk to an HR professional that is ready to actually go in as a fractionalized provider with you to create your policies, procedures, your handbooks, everything that's going to create your company's foundation and especially begin to sow the seeds of what your culture is going to look like. Mm -hmm. That's when you hire, or that's when you bring on that HR contract. Now, when you get to that point of about somewhere between, if you're a high earning studio, should be more like the 15 to 25 realm. If you're just kind of doing your thing, making ends meet, everybody's fed, paid for, but you're still bootstrapping it in that startup world, Mm -hmm. really once you get to about 25 to 50 is when you need to have a dedicated HR person there that is ready to be able to take care of all of the little things that are going to happen throughout any given week or month. Uh, The little conflicts, the, hey, I need somebody to talk to, Uh, Just that person that's going to be in the chair all the time. Now, kind of wrapping back around to what I do and what some other professionals do, I'm a bit of a unicorn, but there are other unicorns out there, I'm sure. 
you need to have someone that has a very high level amount of HR knowledge, someone that could have been your HR executive, but your 25 person company doesn't need a VP of HR. They're going to be overpaid and bored. They're not going to have anything to do and they're not, you're not going to be able to justify them being around. And to come back to Toby, that <laughs> is why HR people get a bad rap because essentially HR is there kind of like a firefighter. Firefighters mm -hmm. are there 24 hours a day in the, you know, sitting at the fire station ready for anything to happen. So HR is sitting there ready for anything to happen. But if they're doing a good job and they've set up a good culture and all those sorts of things, there aren't going to be very many fires. So if you're paying somebody what they're worth at a C-suite level, which should be around the 80 to 150 mark in middle America, much less on a coast, you're going to have this person that is bored out of their minds, not having anything to do, and then starting to find things to do. And that's where HR gets that bad rap. They start trying to justify their experience and justify them even being around because they don't want to be downsized. So they start looking for problems. They start looking at people's, uh, you know, dress code violations and they start, you know, picking apart people's timeliness and when they're showing up and they start watching the time clock and all these horrible reputations that HR people have earned because mm -hmm. a lot of the times they're just trying to justify themselves. So the perfect mirror is when a company that is growing starts in, hires a professional like me to come in as a contractor when they're low end, start in, you know, low head count, start building all of those policies, procedures, and also partnering with a PEO, which uh, there are popular PEOs out there like Trinet, ADP. I'm in middle America, so Paycom is our big one. It's actually located here in Oklahoma City and was started here. But those sorts of companies, PEOs, are going to take care of your payroll and give online portals for your employees. And oftentimes will be able to get you locked into better benefits packages because they're putting you into a pool that mm -hmm. is all of their clients. So it great for you to, you know, link in with the PEO. Here is the biggest piece of advice I will tell you, and this is against PEOs. Even if they say that they will give you HR support, it's not actual HR support because they just can't do that. They have representatives that are usually trained in the way to answer these 100 questions and that is what they're trained to do. They were not HR professionals. They usually are college graduates at that lower level that are just answering the phones and emails. And then you get it escalated and that's somebody that maybe was an HR professional and then maybe it gets escalated again. And that's somebody that might've been an HR manager. Rarely ever do you have somebody with 20 years of experience actually answering anything in any of those PEOs. You don't ever have that one-on-one -on -one interaction and you don't have that relationship or that strategic partnership. So that is why I tell my clients to link in with a PEO to do all of the legwork and all the mm -hmm. groundwork. And, you know, even if it's a Gusto, like Gusto is a great company for- I know that's know, one of the most common around here with startups is they love yeah. Gusto because it's uh, fairly cheap. Yes, Gusto for what it, they know what they do and they more, more appropriately know what they don't do, which mm -hmm. I appreciate. Um, you give Gusto to somebody that is a human resources assistant level experience and they're going to be just fine. So when you're ready to hire that first HR person, it can be an HR assistant. It can mm -hmm. be that office manager that is training to be an HR professional. It can be those sorts of things, but you should still keep that fractionalized consultant 
for all of the big questions and all the strategic planning and also training that lower level human resources employee to be able to take things over slowly. Because in most companies, if you might have experienced them as well, HR becomes this turnstile. It's no same person. It's you know about a year, two years. It's always somebody new or it's new people on the team. And that's because they don't have anywhere to go. They don't really have anything to do. There's no growth in that in that team itself. So what you do is you grow it yourself. If you are a small startup, you can grow that professional to a point where they are a seasoned HR professional under the tutelage of someone like me. So that's that's kind of the multi-tiered step of how you would go from interacting with a fractionalized personnel operations and HR services provider all the way up to the person that you've trained that you now pay and they have enough work to do because you've hired all of those people and now you're a 100 or 200 person organization. They now can be the leader of that org and be the HR director with multiple people under them. And that's how you can grow your you know, smaller company into something larger. It's what other companies have done along the way. It's just doing it much more purposefully. So the thing with the PEOs you're saying, though, I'm trying to make sure I'm hearing it clearly, though, is like it sounds like they don't do much in the mediation and the culture at all, but they do handle a lot of the clarification. That's it. Like they're just like, oh, you have a question about benefits in this? We can answer that. If not, sorry for you. Correct. They are going to be able to answer any of the things that they are experts in. So if it falls under their stuff, they are going to have all the answers. And frankly, your HR consultant probably got into what they do because they hate benefits. Benefits were horrible. (laughs) I got to do, I got to run an HR department and was director of human resources and payroll through uh, the ACA. And that was enough for me to never want to do benefits again. For, For what it's worth, one of the most miserable things as a small business owner is trying to figure out how to do healthcare benefits. Yeah. It's just, it's horrible, especially for someone like myself who is an individual solo practitioner and not necessarily eligible for the pooling that you can get when you get up to higher levels. You know, it can get frustrating for sure. Oh yeah. Um, You basically sometimes just, uh, you know, maybe you're a horrible person that just has a very high, you know, huge, like (laughs) got your arm chopped off plan, but then you just pay out of pocket for everything else. Insurance is horrible especially as a sole proprietor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a small company, you know, you're wanting to be able to hire on people that are leaving places like Microsoft, Google, Apple, mm-hmm. larger game studios. And some of them got to have free benefits. So what are you, what are you going to do? Yeah. You got to have to link up with a PEO so that you can get a smaller amount. So maybe you pay a hundred percent of those benefits, but you're never mm-hmm. going to be able to do it for your eight person studio. Well, I'm going to throw something at you that I get asked a lot when we're dealing with like, let's say an eight person studio and they're sitting back and they've got a little bit of runway to get their game out the door Mm -hmm. and they maybe need another programmer, Mm -hmm. but they also need documents, legal, HR, let's even say just marketing. Sure. How do you prioritize that money and how do you justify the HR cost to them? You know, because that's, it's definitely a a question that I get thrown out a lot. Sure. (laughs) Sure. Um, I would always say uh, it's a twist on the old adage. Um, you got to spend money to earn money. And at the end of the day, yes, that programmer might help you right now. But what's going to happen when you can't keep that programmer and the person that they came in talking to when they both leave for a better studio? It's true. It's true. I mean, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, 
And if you strategically, you know, spend that money and you don't just waste it on, you know, if you're paying someone $10,000 to do uh, employee handbook and just set up mm-hmm. some policies, you're overspent. You needed to look around a little bit because frankly, we don't charge that sort of amount. That's preposterous. But you also shouldn't be trying to get those things online because if you try to find, you know, with legal documents, if you try to find that online, all you're doing is uh, spending money now to throw it away. You know, you can spend money to save money today, Mm -hmm. which is really keeping you from getting, especially when it comes to running afoul of employment law or heaven forbid you're operating in California or New York or Mm -hmm. Colorado or Washington. I mean, most HR professionals that are, you know, nationally certified don't know the ins and outs of things that change in those states so often. So heaven forbid you as a business owner know. California in particular can get absolutely crazy when it comes to things. And, uh, the thing I always tell people when they ask me, why can't I just pull this from online is you don't take the rules of monopoly and try to play Yahtzee. It yep. just doesn't work. It doesn't matter how well it was drafted from day one. Uh, first off, if you don't even understand it, God forbid the worst thing, you take this rule book or this contract and you decide to use it, but mm-hmm. you've never read it. And um, then you hit a point where now you have to adhere to policies that are in it. Um, let's just use firing an employee for an example. You pulled an online employment contract and you have an online employee handbook that you pulled. Both reference each other if you're lucky. If you're lucky, they probably don't, to be honest. They might conflict. (laughs) And even then, if you try to now remove that employee, let's say one of them is for the employee, one of them is for the um, employer, you're going to end up with a lot of costs there with some form of settlement probably, you know, down the road, just because it seems like there's some very real risk there. Yes, there always is. And employers always kind of love to roll the dice on that employee isn't going to bother to lawyer up. And sadly enough, and you probably have seen this as well, everybody now seems to have an aunt or a cousin or somebody that practices just enough law to be dangerous or to tell them how to find somebody that... Facebook law, that's the way to go. Well, (laughs) that that term is literally my favorite on the planet. Knows enough to be dangerous because that's really what it is pretty often. Because even within the context of like what I do, it is so hyper-specialized typically that, you know, I was lucky when I was a, a, a younger content creator and just starting to sign some contracts that my uncle was a business attorney. Mm-hmm. That didn't really mean he knew streaming. That didn't really mean he knew a lot of internet, but he knew business and he knew it well. And he did real estate and he was able to at least do good enough for me. You know, he he fixed a couple of provisions in there that were honestly really bad. Right. You know, so I super appreciate having that. But it's one of those things where, you know, God forbid, let's say he was an expert at probate or, you know, family law or something like that they may know enough to to do better than the average person, especially, but it can get very difficult when you start handing them highly specialized work that is, let's be honest, often industry specific too. Because if you don't know what terms should be fair for that industry, you might just be signing something just absolutely terrible. Mm-hmm. Precisely. And, and that will kind of dovetail a bit back to the PEO idea and trying to find things online. Um, Many PEOs will offer, you know, well, you signed up with ADP, here's our employee handbook. 
And to your perfect point just now, that handbook is not set up for your company, much less your industry. Mm -hmm. It is just a generic handbook. So it is never going to have all of the jargon that you're going to use. And if it ever came to a court, you would have to justify that use of jargon. If it's not in your employee handbook, it might as well not exist. So you have actually created more rules to be strung up on than you have to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's what I also try to do for my clients is, you know, if I'm going to create any documents for them, I committed very early that it would be bespoke for them. We would sit down and we would go line by line. And my clients often hate it that when I give them, you know, what my employee handbook is, it's all highlighted in red. And we go line by line and we eliminate the highlights as it's okay to actually leave in there. And it drives them batty and it takes forever. But at the end of the process, they have a handbook that they can actually use and one that they understand enough so that it be can become this organic document that gets changed regularly and it gets updated and you're communicating things with your employees when there is a change. So you can go back through in a legal sense and say, John knew exactly what happened with this change because John signed on this day, the addendum for this policy. Mm. And you had somebody that just had that, I won't say that brain, but that forethought to be able to say, all right, let's set up what addendums look like and what rule and policy changes can look like so that you can send out an easy memo, but then be able to then retain all of the signatures and have proof that people saw it. It's not just a handbook that they get on day one and never look at again. It's a handbook that they have and they can go back to as PDF on their phone forever. You know, this is something that they can consistently refer back to so that when you terminate an employee, it can always be for cause because yeah. uh, we have talked in the past and uh, there's so many people that have this misconception that an at will state, which most are uh, means that you can just terminate an employee anytime you don't like them. And that's not the case at will really is just a union breaking tactic so that you can't have people signing contracts. You can't say, I, John, I'm going to come work for you. And here is my contract stating that I cannot be terminated for any reason whatsoever. And you are going to pay me X amount and I can poop in your gas tank here. It's a contract. You signed it. Ha ha ha. That is terminated in that will state. You can't require a contract from an employee to an employer. They can, that employer can terminate your employment and that employee can quit whenever they mm -hmm. want. So it's kind of that double-edged sword that unless you've written something in there about that employee being non-rehirable, if they don't give a two-week notice, then you have no legal stance and no real ethical stance to be able to say, well, we don't want them around ever again. How dare they, you know, get a new job and then leave at the end of the week. That's against our culture. No, it wasn't. You never wrote it down. <laughs> well, I, I think you just gave us a perfect transition for something I wanted to talk about. And you've given a lot of really good advice for people looking into more of the documentation. But what about the culture aspect? That's a term that gets thrown around. A lot of times it doesn't mean anything to some people. A lot of times it has very negative meanings in the way that it's used in almost a discriminatory way where it's like, you know, okay, they don't fit our culture. Well, what is your culture? You know, uh, I was once uh, terminated from a position. It was it was an amicable split. Like I, I took the severance package and everything, but I wasn't a uh, uh, culture fit because 
in my defense, I really didn't want to hire for the CEO a new front desk girl that was, quote, at least a nine and a half. And I didn't care if she or I don't care if she just graduated from high school as long as she's she'll make me smile when I walk in the front door. When I was given those criteria to hire a new person, I was sending the CEO the best qualified candidates. Sadly enough, I wasn't sending him the hottest candidates. And that was, you know, he was 70 something. And it was a, that was a culture, you know, it was a company that very much uh, prided itself in how all of its employees looked. Um, so culture can be a bad thing. You know, culture can be, you can swat your, uh, your assistants on the butt. It was a culture thing for many, many years, but the buzzword that it now has is powerful when it has no business being so. So when I say, you know, trying to build your culture, it's trying to build your pillars, what your company stands for, why your company exists, why do you exist and others don't? Why do you exist and your competition hasn't been crushed underfoot? Or why do you exist and your competition hasn't crushed you? So it's really the why and what gets people to show up day in and day out. Because in this day and age, especially with COVID and remote work becoming a normal thing, Oh, oh man, there are so many places in which you can find work, especially in the tech field. So does, does it not get hard? Does it not get hard for HR though? Say you, you, you said you're, you, you get hired for this job. Your job is to bring on the best people and you can just, you can sense that there's something wrong in, in the culture. Like, is it just, is that what HR has to do is either fit in or just quit? Is like that the options? Like how, how do you navigate that? Traditionally? Yes. That's yeah. exactly what HR has to do. Yeah. That is why I said before, you know, HR in a perfect world would sit to the side as, as an org. In a truly perfect world, I would love HR professionals to unionize. I would love there to be a, a basically a layer of protection so that all HR professionals can go to bat, even if it's up against a CEO and not have to worry about them losing their livelihoods. Mm -hmm. Because... <sighs> This is going to be a large margin, and this is purely anecdotal. This is me throwing out numbers. But I would say that, at least in my experience, 75% of the issues that I've seen that are culture are top-down. They're not coming from the bottom. Correct. <laughs> Correct. It's a, it's a vastly small amount. Yeah. And so many of them came from C-suite employees that were never told that they couldn't do what they were doing. No one ever stepped in and said no. So they just continue to do it. And that created that culture. So that's why I always tell, that's why I said earlier, um, bring me in before you hire those first employees, because we need to talk about how receptive you are to criticism, to mm -hmm. someone voicing that they have an issue. So much of what I do for the employees of my clients' companies is being an advocate and a voice of reason to their bosses. I go to bat for them and I can go to bat for them and I don't fear it. I make my people sign a one-year contract stating that they can't just get rid of me because they didn't like that I took <laughs> up for Joe instead of someone else. And what, what's interesting for that then is do you think we end – because I know obviously you said C-suite down. They want to control. Even if they're hiring on a good HR person, they still want to control that. Yeah. But should a – this will never happen, but like should the people then choose who their HR person is going to be? Like should it be almost like the same thing you choose, you know, what your insurance will be or your insurance like a like will there ever be a way that like employees 
like every year it re-upped like we work with this person maybe they haven't stuck for us then maybe we bring in somebody else like will that ever be the way that it gets chosen is by the people it's representing and not by the guy who's like this will be my hr guy you know um, could probably it be? not because he's well, not signing not signing the check so well I, let's let's say in 50 years people listen to this weird bald brown guy and it's like oh <laughs> we need that. needs to be done then the next evolution of that is the people calling me and having accounting actually create that in or pay that invoice would be the employees and not the employer so how do you address how does hr especially for even like you say you're remotely uh mm -hmm. say you have you start to notice certain um managers have like a high turnover rate specifically the manager and yeah the person that's staying every time is the manager and these employees just keep being come and go, come and go. How do you address that? Like, do you just be like, Hey, there's something wrong with this person? Or I mean, like, how do you address, like, how do you, if you can, can clearly tell there's definitely a really, really bad, you know, rate of return for these guys coming in and out. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you handle that? Well, that's where I say that uh, doing what I do takes a very particular personality and it's not mm -hmm. for everybody. Yep. Uh, I am confrontational and uh, you, you can't tell sitting here. I'm six, three, <laughs> 250. I and tell. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a big dude. And yeah. that has always kind of been a detriment in my HR career because people expect a certain look because yep. they're sexist or whatever. Yeah, Just sure. They've been indoctrinated that HR should look a certain way. So when I would walk in day one, people would go like, oh God, like that's the angel of death and he could kill me. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but now it allows me to walk up and the interpersonal communication degree that I got in college also allows me to have those tough conversations with people to say, hey, the numbers don't lie. At the end of the day, I have to start looking at how we can improve your managerial tactics and figure out in many cases, especially with my more blue collar clients. And it really happens in tech too. I'm not going to, I'm not going to single out blue collar, but mm -hmm. oh, this person is really good at what they do. I'm going to promote them to manager. Not this person is a leader, not this person is a good manager, not this person has buy-in from his, their employees, mm -hmm. not, not any of those things. This person is good at what they do. So I'm going to promote them to manager and never train them on how to become a manager. It's kind of like, hey, I'm going to bring this person in. They're really good at typing. They were a great administrative assistant. I'm going to make mm -hmm. them office manager. And then I'm going to make them HR manager. And you're never getting any training for this. You're just being thrown extra expectations. Yep. So it's sitting well, down with that employee and saying, like, what kind of leadership training can we give you and leveraging either what I know myself or the connections that I've made with different leadership training programs or different institutes that do those sorts of things. But giving those resources to the employer and that manager so that the manager can succeed and then their people can succeed. And it all it's that spending money now to save money later mm -hmm. sort of mentality. So it all rolls back to it. No, uh, I, I appreciate Kyle uh, commenting in the chat saying that he, he very much resonates with your definition of culture. Um, but something you said that kind of stood out to me is investing in your employees. Yes. Um, the fact that we've kind of had a pretty big shift, I feel like, from a lot of traditional kind of employees with pensions and things like that to more of almost a workforce that is largely contractors, whether they're labeled correctly or not different argument. Um, but how has that affected the fact that a lot of these people are not necessarily getting the training they need for some of the promotions they may get, or even just for the, the fields they're put into? And what can you do to fix that as a company? Uh, for one, don't randomly give out titles. 
Uh, <laughs> one of the things that I do help my clients with is really creating set in stone job descriptions and job requisitions when you're looking for that person out of, uh, in a hiring program. Mm -hmm. So having those clear cut expectations and maybe it is a little more corporate structure than you want in your cool hip startup, but it works. Having that ability to say, this is what a developer, a junior developer does, a senior developer does, and a lead developer does, like what those levels look like, not only protects you so that if anything were to come around and you terminated one of those employees and they said, well, you know, I was being asked to do things that I wasn't comfortable doing or didn't have the knowledge to do, you could roll back and say, well, when you were promoted from, you know, one to two to second level, here's where during that promotion, we checked the boxes and you said, because you signed it, that you knew how to do those things. So this wasn't a, we terminated you because uh, you were a part of a protected class. We terminated you because you said you could do these things and you couldn't, or we hired you because you said you could do these things and you couldn't. So to, you know, that's a long answer to a short question, but so much of it is creating that structure. How, what about, you know, we get to a point now again, HR becomes again, like line of defense for people with situations. How, what about like, Things like retaliation from like, like, you know, or like being able to stay, you know, a form of anonymity if you have a problem. Like, it's really hard to do that now because, you know, somebody has to come to you. So you have to know where the problem is. But then if you go to that person and say, hey, we hear that problem, that person knows who the person's problem. You know what I mean? Like, so how does yeah. that work? Is it just a, if it's just not a good fit for you, the person has to leave. Like, I, I feel it's, how do you address that? Like, how do you address these issues of, you know, I don't know. I, I don't even know. Really. It's, it's an interesting thing It's like, because it's true. It's in the end. It becomes mm -hmm. down to the employee. The person has the problem having to just leave because of the well, issue of the people up top, you know? Yes. Uh, so many of uh, the things that I do are navigating minefields. Mm -hmm. So when you have those sorts of things, I, I commit to the employees of, my, of the companies of which uh, are my clients that if they ask for anonymity, I will do everything I can to keep it that way. Mm -hmm. If you're a six person company, that is hard to do. However, especially if you're the only female, right? I will speak in generalities and usually I can navigate a conversation enough to, even if you're the sole female in the office, I can loop it back to, there will be more females in the office. Mm -hmm. So we need, I will steer that to make it more of a generalized need versus, Hey, this one person has this problem. Mm -hmm. But I will step in and be able to do mediations, which usually are very successful uh, with most employees, because when they have somebody in the room that is willing to shut their their manager that they have a problem with down and say, hey, we need to it's her to, <laughs> her moment to talk. It's not yours to rebut. I'm controlling yeah. the conversation. It's something yeah. that the manager might not be used to. No. The employee is asking for, you know, intensely. And if that company has brought me on early enough, then those two people are coming to have that conversation when it is just a small little problem that can be fixed immediately. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're bringing me a, if this doesn't get fixed, I walk away. Chances are you're going to walk away, Yeah. but at least we can turn it into a learning experience for whoever happens to come along after you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but so much of HR is fixing things when they're small. Mm -hmm. And that is trust. That is just that ability to, really confide in a person and having that person if, when it's me be offsite 
not an employee of the company and able to be reached privately by anyone in the organization really goes a long way toward my clients just feeling better about what's happening, knowing that they're getting a disseminated amount of information that they can actually use without emotion and all of the things that are tied into it or fear so much when it comes from an employee. I'm coming at them with the cold, hard facts and what they need to change. Well, and for someone like me who has to come at things very often from a risk management perspective, I can definitely let that resonate because, I mean, uh, the reality is if you fix a problem early on, it is almost always 10, 100 times cheaper than fixing it, dragging it all the way through fruition if it has to go, especially through the legal system. Um, for example, like I've worked with a lot of streamers who get really bad deals. It's, it's, it's unfortunate, but a lot of these orgs are not very formalized. They're probably not working with someone like you. Sure. At, at the very best, they're probably not working with an employment lawyer of any kind. Nope. Um, and they're, they're kind of just passing along deals that, I mean, on some of them literally don't say anything on others. They pretty much say like, I own half your livelihood, which again, there's problems there that we can get into on a different conversation, you know, but, um, you're lucky if it says half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's one of those things where a lot of these guys sign them and then yeah. to get them out of those deals, even when they are bad and even when it is completely unjust, yeah. it, it costs money. It's expensive, you know, and that's whether you're going through myself or someone else, you know, um, especially, you know, God forbid you happen to sign this deal and it's in, I don't know, um, middle America where I don't know uh, someone in my field who is in that area who can kind of understand it very clearly. You know, like I, I've had to work through deals that are in areas like Dakota, you know, South Dakota, North Dakota, you know, yeah. like there's. Not as many, you know, gaming attorneys there in a sense, you know, that are familiar with streaming and stuff, you know, so it can get kind of chaotic. Do we think that's where we're at then now going into gaming, going into streaming? These clients now are getting younger and younger and younger. Like, is obviously everybody should be paid what they're worth. But like, do we I feel like there has to be like a a space now where these younger people can go to somebody and not have to spend four hundred dollars an hour and not have to hire a whole HR team. They can actually get these resources. You know, it's because the parents, they didn't realize their son was or or daughter is getting into this stuff, but they need somebody to help them out. You know, like, I hope that we get to the point where there is a little bit easier access to this great information for the younger people who end up getting caught in these deals. No. And I, I think that's a very difficult question to answer for my sure. end, at least yeah. on the legal end. Yeah. Cause you know, it's one of those things where I can pro bono hours when I want to. And when I feel like I have the time, for sure. but there is a point where you also got to put food on the table for sure. So, you know, and it, it becomes very difficult to even run a kind of, fun to kind of do stuff like that, you know, and people have tried in the past to do things like that. But, you know, um, a lot of times it just comes down to, do you know somebody? Yeah. Are they willing to give you <laughs> like sure. a friend and family discount? You know, from my end as someone who was a Twitch partnered streamer, it hurts equally hard, you know, if not more seeing those, because I'm like, that could have been me, you know, very easily if I didn't have some of the connections I had. And I don't know from your end, Jeff, if you, see it a little different within HR or if it's yeah, kind of very similar to that? No, it's very similar. It's it, it always comes down to hopefully somebody you know, but that person, you never know how much that they've done. Here in middle America, there's tons of oil and gas. So everybody knows somebody that was HR and oil and gas. But as someone who also was HR and oil and gas, uh, running uh, an entire company of, you know, land people and uh, 
you know, people that are pumpers and roustabouts and all those sorts of things are not the same as a tech company. So I, I went so far as to instead of, you know, I do a lot of free mentorship, but I can only mentor like, you know, a few companies at a time. You know, I created on the side just like a, a team's org that I can do for remote clients all over the nation. And, you know, they join that for six months or a year and it's priced at, you know, like 150 a month. And they can come in, they can just ask questions. I dump information in there, just kind of in the files, because Teams can is pretty nice about that, to be able to just, if there's new HR laws that happen to pop through and I catch them, I throw them over into the, the mm. file so people can look at them. And then they can message me within business hours or set up calls, things of that nature. And it gives at least something so that all of these startup companies know what's going on. And that works the same way with people that are, you know, going in and becoming 1099 contractors. I help quite a few people that are trying to start their own businesses. At, at least from my end, I feel like that level of fractionalization and just adjustment to tech is what's kind of needed. Obviously with the legal industry, we are a little slower at times, you know, to kind of adapt and, you know, some of the things you do are not necessarily even allowed for me to do, you know, in the sense of like, my clients have to be allowed to fire me, you know, yeah. if they don't want to work with me anymore, they can fire me, you know, yeah. and that's, it's a different kind of world to be in, you know, because even then. For negligence. Well, yeah. I, uh, yeah, and, yeah. You know, I, I, I do write it in there that uh, absolutely for negligence, but uh, even at, you know, they, they can terminate their contracts, but they still have to do it with 30 days notice mm -hmm. and all projects I might be working on have to be completed. So if that project includes helping Janet tried to get you to understand and listen, you're going to see me for the next 30 days advocating for Janet. So <laughs> it's very early on. It's like, you can't just get rid of me because you don't like that. Someone is telling you no, that no, for sure. going to work. That's why that's really the foundation of the crux of the relationship that I'm creating with my clients. And they know that going in, you know, I, I onboard them very well because a lot of them never had someone like me that's running around saying, you know, they're calling me and they're like, can I? No. But what if, like, I will always find that loophole if it exists. But if it doesn't exist, I have no problems telling you no. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think touching back on, like, streamers, that's just a perfect example of a very youthful in or industry, you know, not only in the sense of the people getting involved in it are young, a lot of the people who are running the the bigger orgs, maybe their first or second job, they may not have a ton of formal experience. And I think that's where you're seeing a lot of kind of professional services companies having room for growth in them because it's it's just a right field for, again, someone needs to come in and put in some oversight and put in some HR type processes for um, just example earlier this June, I believe it was Twitter went ripe with, you know, kind of a me too movement, uh, when it came to Twitch. And I know I was talking to you, I believe earlier this week, and you said that it was very similar within wrestling, you yep. know, and it's just one wow. of those things where yeah. the, these things are going to keep happening, but it's, what can we do to make them better? You know? And how many, and you know, I, I hate to even toot my own horn or anything like that, but how many of these things could have been avoided had there been someone that those employees or those people could hold within a company and said, when it's, you know, two people within the same company, hey, this is happening. 
can we handle this in some some anonym uh, some degree of anonymity and be able to bring light? Mm-hmm. But so many people won't say a word because they know that HR wrote a bat for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. That person's a director of a of a division. There's no way that myself, as there this you know this person as a brand new employee that has just been harassed, could ever hope to win that battle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something John. You're saying a good point that John said too, which is the problem ends up always becoming though is that the victor of these things always ends up being the person whoever's the highest level. You know what I mean? Like it's the the person below usually doesn't really get the benefit of it. Uh, it's more of a like you try, but then you end up not being the person who's the most protected. So, and my uh, the thing is, and this other thing that my my clients have to sign is uh, they have to understand that if I myself see something that is being done that is a letter of the law, I report to them, but I will report them to the labor de- department mm-hmm. immediately. I have a I have a contact here in Oklahoma that is, you know, heads of the Oklahoma Labor Department, and I will give that person a call and say, I need you to do an investigation. So it really comes back to I have no problems being a whistleblower because everybody knows that going in. And if you don't have a problem with that, then chances are you're doing business correctly. But you never know what your employees are going to do. I have one last thing. I know we're getting closer to time. Um, sure. How is, uh, whether it's being adjustments or, or changes to the vernacular, and like now they're in this pandemic COVID era, a lot of companies are now all working remotely that didn't have to. Mm-hmm. How I, I, what kind of conversations are happening? How are things changing now in HR? Are you seeing changes? Um, like what, what kind of, yeah, what do you, what, what are some of the things you're seeing changing now? Uh, so much of it is coming down to companies just didn't have a plan for what it looks like when you don't have the ability to have face-to-face oversight or interaction with your employees. You can't control what they do as much. You have to just trust them to make good on deliverables. Mm-hmm. So, so much of that, again, comes back to the culture. It kind of fostered the idea that there's independence because everyone loves to write on their resume or write on a job requisition that they're looking for somebody that works independently. All right, put your money where your mouth is because that's what it looks <laughs> is what it looks like. Works independently is now. So do you really want someone to work independently or do you want somebody that you don't have to talk to because you're bad at managing? Mm-hmm. Get that to yourself and then try to fix it. Work with people that can. Uh, you know, you should be better yesterday or today than you were yesterday. That sort of thing. So it really is changing so many orgs in making them think forward, think around possibilities. And honestly, it's a horrible thing, but COVID has given more uh, legitimacy to legal and HR departments mm-hmm. in the last eight months than many of us have been working for in the last decade and a half. Wow. If you were going to give one piece of advice to a manager or someone running a company when it comes to dealing with um, other members of their team, what would you say? If it was one piece of advice, um, find it whatever way it takes and whatever it looks like to be able to show your employees that you are listening and will change. I, whatever that's going to look like. Be actually receptive to the idea and not just be it, but show it because you have to show that you actually are like this. If you snap when they come in and talk to you, all it takes 
is one instance and all of the trust that you've built is shattered. And everybody needs to really start thinking about the fact that every professional relationship you have is just like a romantic one, honestly. It has just the same dynamics, it has the same issues, and you can be the most loving partner in the world, but you flip out one time and all of those years in which you were loving, you know, wonderful, are then taken under a completely different lens. So being a leader, these people trust you much like a, a child trusts their parent. So do right by them. Be receptive. Yeah. I definitely think adding communication and stuff as well, like you said, is very important. And uh, definitely more than just being like, yes, Jeff, I heard you, but more showing that I heard you goes right. a long way. Right. Um, so I, I definitely want to appreciate you for your time and for joining us today. I think this was super awesome. We got to talk about a lot of different things. Um, for people who want to connect with you after the show, what's the best way to do it? Well, uh, I can always share my links with you so that you can kind of Go for put it. into the notes. I'll put them into the description. And Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm very easy to find. I mean, Yenser Consulting Services, LLC, the name's unique enough that you'll find it no matter <laughs> where you look. It's really weird. Uh, I was adopted and I'm not that close with the Yenzers on a whole, but I swear every one of us, there's a Yenzer Dental, there's a Yenzer Realty. Everybody that's a Yenzer wants to throw their name on you know, their entrepreneurial effort. And it's funny how many of us there are versus how few globally there are because we're only found in America. But well, uh, I'll give you the Facebook links, uh, mm -hmm. a link to my booking page. The first 30 minute consultation is always free. You just book based on my calendar. I can always, we can sit down, talk a little bit about what your company is running into, what strengths and weaknesses you're currently experiencing and how to move forward with that. But I'll also put links to things like my Facebook and my LinkedIn. Uh, I love to connect with people. I love to answer questions. Just uh, I'll be respectful of your time if you're respectful of mine. Awesome. And I'm still slightly jealous of the fact that you, you made your gamer tag your last name and just did all your branding as Yenzer. I know looking back, I wish I hadn't been like, I'm going to go with these random names that make no sense. <laughs> you know, because I mean, yeah, I do have Kane on Xbox, which is pretty cool. But yeah. like a lot of times I'm like, man, why wasn't I just laster on everything? Can and I that would have just been so much easier? Can I give you one little back like a pat on the back reason why I did that? Oh, go for it. I ethically put my stamp on whatever I do. <laughs> you can find me. I'm yeah. easy to find, I'm easy to blacklist, I'm easy to blackball because it's my name. Mm -hmm. If I acted poorly on Xbox Live, I'm pretty easy to find. And it's my company. So it, it was always that constant reminder that I need to act appropriately and I need to do business and my professional life with ethics and, and kindness because my name is there. Uh, you could carpet bomb my house. Like there, <laughs> there are not that many answers. It's like me or my dad. Like those are the two answers in this town. It's so. definitely a little different than when I was making my accounts and I'm 11 years old and sure. I'm like being told from my parents, don't let people know who you are. Like, oh. don't ever know who you are, or where you are. Yeah, Come to think of it down the road 10 years later, I'm like, yeah, people know who I am. Not only that, let's be real. Um, it's pretty easy to do public records. Sure. Yeah. sure. My, my gamer tag is about to turn 18 years old, and I yeah. was a drinking adult when it was created. So <laughs> it was a different experience. Yeah, exactly. All right. Thank you again, Jeff. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, 
I know Kyle does as well. <laughs> he just messaged <laughs> saying he already hit you up. Uh, so thanks again, guys. And uh, we'll have another show for you next week. Thank you very much.